From a big picture perspective, the title, Our Passover Lamb, the address, Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. Uh, Pastor Matthew shared last week, and if you wrote at the top of your margin there, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, was the warning of the final climactic deadly plague. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, 11, 1 of Exodus, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. If you drop down to chapter 12, what you could put at the heading of this chapter is, this is preparation for the plague and how to receive protection from the plague of death and judgment, namely by the application of the blood of the Passover lamb. That's what we're tackling today, Christ, our Passover Pray with me, Father. Thank you so much for all those who have gathered, those who may be watching from home via live stream. Thank you for those uh, who are part of our family in different states that have come to join us on these Sunday mornings, this Lord's Day. Uh, It is set apart for you, Lord. We're here for you. We're here to glorify you. We're here to hear what the Spirit would say to your people in this hour and to respond in a way that would please you, Lord. And so we do pray that you would shed your grace upon your people, upon this nation. And Lord, as we look at the Passover, the real real theme here is freedom. How do we experience true freedom? It is found in Jesus Christ. If the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And today, Lord, as we celebrate as a nation our independence, we also celebrate our dependence on you as our God, our King, our Savior, our Lord. Indeed, the one who says we are your bride and your people. And so help us, Father, to have ears to hear what you would say. And I pray that in Jesus' holy name. If you agree, would you say? Amen. Amen. What is the Passover? Passover is one of the most powerful Old Testament pictures of our salvation. Christ is called our Passover, literally, or our Passover lamb, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we'll delve into that text next time we look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. One writer says, Passover is one of the most striking, blessed foreshadowments of the cross work of Christ to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. Jesus is called the Lamb of God or the Lamb some 30 times in Revelation alone. And the message of the Lamb of God in our lives is that he supernaturally delivers his people from bondage to sin and death and sets us free, not only free from our sin, but free to belong to him and do his will. And Isaiah's great prophecy in Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus would die on the cross, Isaiah writes, he was like, the Messiah was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. John the Baptist, when Jesus was approaching the Jordan River as John was baptizing famously declared, behold, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is uh, the fulfillment of this great image. And you'll notice if you skip ahead for a second, part B of uh, verse 11 in Exodus 12 calls the Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. And I heard one Messianic teacher say, if you belong to the Lord, then Passover belongs to you. And I know there are some people who are not Jewish in the room who have been part of Seder celebrations on the Passover, the Seder meal. The word Seder, S-E-D-E-R, simply just means order. So if you've ever done a Seder uh, meal with a Jewish family or perhaps you are Jewish, 
uh, you can see the fulfillment in Christ in the different elements. It's the Lord's Passover, and here's what it says, Exodus 12, 12, skipping ahead. I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And notice, and against all the gods of Egypt, one by one, God defeated the gods and goddesses of Egypt, as we've noted. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Passover was indeed a night of judgment. It was judgment against the world captured in the nation of Egypt. But it was also judgment against the false gods of Egypt and goddesses. If you will, it was judgment against their idols. And so God will not share his glory with another. And each and every plague was a specific judgment to show the inadequacy, the uh, falseness of a false god in Egypt. And for us as American citizens sitting here in a room in 2021, we need to know that God will do the same with our idols. He will always attack our idols to show how impotent they are to save us and give us true freedom. They will, those false idols will eventually entangle us in bondage and make us indeed their slaves. And so Joshua writes these words. If you turn to your right a little bit, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. In chapter 24, we gave out a, a bracelet to the men on Father's Day. And it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15 being the reference. Here's what Joshua said to the people of Israel, to that next generation after the Exodus. He says these words, 24, 14 of Joshua. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him, 24, 14, in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. And so the nation of Israel was really, you could say, essentially born on the Passover, Back to Exodus, if you will turn to chapter 6 of Exodus. The Passover has been known as the festival of redemption because it is that Israel gets redeemed at this point by the blood of the Lamb. As God is speaking to Moses about what he's going to do in Exodus 6, he makes these following statements. 6.5 of Exodus. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel, Exodus 6.5, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. 
Now, the Passover is the means, if you turn to Exodus 12, by which God will finally deliver the people of Israel. This is the climactic and final plague, and it is a devastating plague, to say the least. Because the Bible goes on to say that there's not one household in Egypt where somebody is not dead. So this is literally the plague of death. This is the judgment of God. And the wages of sin is death. And God is the ultimate holy judge. And he will judge sin. But Israel is instructed as to how they might avoid that judgment. And how they get to avoid that judgment is laid out in the preparation for the Passover. In our verses ahead of us, Exodus 12, take a look at verse 1 with me. And this is written so that they might never forget. Now the Lord, Exodus 12, 1, that's Yahweh, said to Moses, and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Many scholars believe that the initial instructions of the Passover were given to Moses during the ninth plague. Remember, the ninth plague was three days of darkness in Egypt. It was a darkness that people could feel. Yet it did not affect the households in in Goshen where the people of Israel were. They had light in their dwellings. And it may well be that God is giving instructions about the Passover to Moses and Aaron as uh, Egypt was sitting literally frozen in fear in the darkness. And God says these words, this month shall be the beginning, that's the Hebrew word rosh, it means head or prince of months for you. It is to be, the Passover month is to be the first month of the year to you. And so God now lays out to Israel their calendar. We all know that our, when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate it, Passover in our March-April, in the springtime. You could say this was the birth of a nation. Spring is where things grow and things become new. These are the seven feasts laid out by God to Israel in Leviticus chapter 23. You're going to notice that it starts with three fall feasts. Those fall feasts were all fulfilled in a weekend in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the Passover... He was buried on the Feast of Matzah, or Unleavened Bread, and he rose again on the Feast of First Fruits, which fell on the same weekend as the Passover, as the calendar was laid out this time. Fifty days later, just as Jesus promised, Jesus spoke to them over a period of 40 days. Acts chapter 1, he talked to them about the kingdom. He told them to wait for the promise of the Father. If you count 50 days from first fruits, the feast of first fruits, when Jesus rose as the first fruits of the resurrection, to the feast of Pentecost, Pente means 50, the Jews would call it the feast of weeks or Shabbat, you get to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church in Acts chapter 2. It's to your benefit that I go away. I'm going to send you another helper. You'll receive power. The church receives the power of the Holy Spirit on the feast of weeks or Pentecost, right according to God's calendar. And then what you have after those first fall feasts that have been fulfilled in the work of the Messiah and in the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are kind of now between the times on God's calendar. And there are three fall feasts that are yet to be fulfilled. And those are the following. You have the Feast of Trumpets. There's going to be a trumpet blast at the return of Christ. You have the Day of Atonement. Many would point to Israel's repentance during that time. And then God promises to tabernacle among his people in the final seven feasts. Seven feasts, a complete number, 
That's what God is doing. And just as Jesus fulfilled the spring feast, according to God's calendar, on the exact days that they would occur, so there are many who believe that Jesus will fulfill the fall feast according to God's calendar. Now, we got to be careful. We don't know the day or the hour of the return of Christ, but Jesus made it clear that we can know the season. And if we're paying attention, we can understand that God has a calendar. And he gave Israel the calendar, the beginning of the calendar. Look at verse 2 again. This month, that is our March, April, or spring, will be the beginning. It is the first month of the year to you. Now, this establishes something called the religious calendar in Israel. Just a side note that the ancient peoples were very much agrarian peoples, too. So each of these feasts centers itself around some sort of harvest imagery. We just studied in our men's Thursday morning uh, study the Feast of Pentecost. And we talked about Pentecost was going to happen exactly according to God's calendar. They didn't pray it in. It happened according to God's time. But they prepared themselves through prayer. And then the Holy Spirit came. And 3,000 people came to Christ on the day of Pentecost as a result of the the preaching of Peter. 3,000 souls, a harvest of souls came in to the fold. And just as 3,000 died when the law was given, in the book of Exodus, we'll study this later, 3,000 are saved on the Feast of Pentecost. So there's harvest imagery woven in here as well, different harvests that come in in different seasons. Now for us, we need to be thinking that our salvation in Christ, the Passover lamb, is the first thing. This is what should mark the calendar. It should catapult everything else in the life of Israel And it should catapult everything else in our lives. We must be born again. We have to mark the time by the time that we are born again. If you're going to try to be a moral person without the power of the Spirit, you ain't going to make it. We need the power of the Spirit. And even then it's a challenge. Amen? And so this marks the time. Our new birth in Jesus Christ marks the rest of our lives. Jesus Christ indeed is Life, death, resurrection, and ascension mark still the calendar of the world. And the Jews were told way back in the time of Moses that you are to mark the time in this way. When Pharaoh is in charge of time, says one writer, one's days become an endless repetition of wearisome toil that in time may seem to go on forever. Past and future are just limitless extensions of an intolerable present, close quote. But now Israel's going to go from drudgery to celebration. The Lord's going to set them free. July 4th is our Independence Day. Or you could say, as a nation, our Dependence Day. Because we need to be, as a church, dependent on the Lord. That's how we truly experience freedom. But it is cool to me how the Lord has set this up so we could land right here on this day. As Israel talks about its freedom, so here we are. Now, Israel was to start that calendar. If you can throw that calendar back up there again for a moment. uh, In the month of Abib. If you notice the calendar for a second, these got switched to Babylonian names. And it is interesting that Ezra led a group of people back to the Holy Land after the Babylonian captivity in the first month of the year. Much later, the month of Abib, which came to be known as the month of Nisan. And so this has marked the calendar for Israel. And of course, it is for us to mark the calendar of our new birth in Jesus Christ. The chains of long, bitter bondage broken. 
Israel would forever and still today look back to this time. Seder celebrations still happen all over the planet in Jewish households and even those who acknowledge the Passover and it is to celebrate God's deliverance. Now I want to show you the calendar really quick. The next book to your right is Leviticus. I don't know when the last time you turned to Leviticus is, but um, turn there with me. Leviticus 23. If you're interested for more studying on the feast, the seven feasts of Israel are laid out all in Leviticus 23. I'm just going to read a few verses so you can get kind of the flavor of the feasts. So here it is. Leviticus 23.1 says these words. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, Leviticus 23.2. Say to them, the Lord's appointed times, uh, feasts, if you have an NIV, which you shall proclaim, means to call them out, as holy convocations, my appointed times or feasts are these. Now, the phrase appointed times is a single Hebrew word called moed. It would be spelled just like you just mowed your lawn, M-O-W-E-D. It speaks of an appointment or a fixed time or season or a festival. It's something like this. If you got a wedding invitation and the parents of the uh, you know, eventual bride and groom invite you to a time and a place for a wedding, they're going to be there. You've been invited to the time and place. They're going to be there. The expectation is that you will be there by receiving this invitation. That's the idea of the appointed time, a fixed appointment. And then notice... Uh, these are holy convocations. That's uh, middle of verse 2. And that's the Hebrew word mikra, spelled M-I-Q-R-A. And it literally means a sacred assembly, a calling people together, and can mean a dress rehearsal. So for 1,500 years, the Jews killed the Passover lamb on something called Nisan 14. Just keep reading and you can see the dates here. There's a mention about the Sabbath, verse 4, Leviticus 23 says, These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, now there's the spring feast. On the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the month starts a, what is essentially a leak, oh, not a leak, a week-long feast. There's the feast of matzah or unleavened bread to the Lord, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now the Jews would sweep out all the leaven in preparation for the Passover holiday. And as time unfolded, Passover, which is a single day or evening celebration, kind of amalgamated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so it was all known kind of as one uh, celebration, one holiday, because they were linked together. And this would happen for about a week. And so the Jews were told that there were three holidays that they must meet with the Lord in Jerusalem at his appointed place. And they were Passover in the spring, Pentecost in the summer, and Tabernacles in the fall. And all able-bodied males were to sojourn from different lands to meet the Lord in Jerusalem for these mandatory feasts. That's why when you're reading your Bible and you're reading about Passover or Pentecost and you wonder, why are all these people here in Jerusalem at this given time? Because people who were Jewish or converts to Judaism would travel from all over the place to honor the Lord at these mandatory feasts. And that's why 3,000 people hear the gospel from all these different lands in Acts chapter 2. Now, I want to show you something really quick in Luke. 
Luke uh, chapter 2, in the life of Jesus. So Jesus was Jewish, of course. He was from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus' family was Jewish. And of course, they, he grew up in a place called Nazareth, which is northern Israel. Turn over to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Jesus' family would honor these feast days. I'm going to just show you one example of how this unfolds in Scripture. Luke chapter 2. Let's pick it up at uh, 41. Now, Jesus' parents, Luke 2.41, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, Luke 2.42. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. So they went every year, and now he's 12. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the whole feast of Passover and unleavened bread, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, Jesus was asking questions, but he was also giving answers. Now, get this. The literal Passover lamb was in Jerusalem for the Passover, interacting with the religious leadership of the day. They were talking to the Passover lamb during Passover. Pretty cool. And I think Jesus knew that he was going to fulfill that imagery. So can you imagine being Jesus, seeing the sights and sounds of the holiday, the lambs that were slaughtered at twilight and all of that? He would have seen that every year of his life until he died at the age of 33. He would have known that he was the fulfillment of that. And I'm sure that his answers amazed people, his insight into the scriptures. Could they have known that they were speaking to the very fulfillment to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so that's just one snapshot of how this unfolds in the New Testament. Let's go back to the book of Exodus. So Moses is being instructed on the Passover, Exodus 12, verse 3. And here's what happens. God says, speak to all the congregation, Exodus 12, 3. Probably the representative fathers or leaders of the different tribes of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month. Now we get an additional insight that something happens four days before the night of Passover, during the week approaching, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, we're, we're told that before the actual feast is going to commence, there is something called Lamb Selection Day. Let me show you a quick photo of some lamb. So what people would do is they would choose out a lamb for their representative household. And that lamb was to be a one-year-old male without spot or blemish. And you also had an alternative choice to choose a kid goat uh, to take into your household. You selected that lamb on the 10th of the month leading up to Passover. Now get this. On the 10th of the month during Jesus' final week of his earthly ministry, he rode into Jerusalem coming down on the Mount of Olives. Do you know what day he rode in on? Lamb Selection Day. 
And he presented himself to the nation as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people began to sing the, the word Hosanna to him from Psalm 118, which literally means save now or save us now. And they were singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there was people celebrating and waving palm branches and there was controversy among the religious leadership. Don't, don't take those accolades. Don't, that's for the Messiah. Don't do that. And Jesus said, if they're quiet, the rocks are gonna cry out, baby. And so the people were singing, but when Jesus saw the nation, when he looked on Jerusalem, he began to weep over the nation because they had misunderstood, largely misunderstood his coming. When Jesus went down into Jerusalem during Passover week, here's what happened. They asked him a series of questions. And when you selected a lamb into your household, what had to be done is that you had to present the lamb to the priest and they checked it for blemishes. The lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. And if it got approved, then that lamb was acceptable. During that whole week, go back and read Luke 20 and other places, Jesus is asked a series of questions from the religious leaders, from everything to taxes, from taxes to the resurrection. This lady had seven husbands. Who's her husband in the resurrection? And all these different questions. And each and every time he was asked a question, he put the religious leadership in their place. He was the lamb selected and the lamb inspected and found to be without spot and without blemish. So, as he wrote in, I think the question probably lingering in Jesus' heart is, am I their selected lamb? Will they accept me as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Or are they only looking for a political deliverer? Do they really understand my mission to come and do away with the twin enemies of sin and death and the taskmasters and bondage that we bring into our own lives? And so into Jerusalem he rode, on Lamb Selection Day. Did they get it? Did they understand his mission? They were, they were saying, save us now, but did they get who he was? Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, Exodus 12, 4, let's say there's a widow, maybe an older married couple, their kids have since moved out. Then he and his neighbor nearest to his house, later Jewish writings say one lamb per 10 people, are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, we should remember that this holiday is all around a meal. It's all around a Passover meal. Let me just pause there to tell you that in our country, we have a national holiday called Thanksgiving. And when Thanksgiving is happening in the States, we have a pretty good idea that most people probably have made a turkey and there's some typical stuff that's at a Thanksgiving meal. And the intention of the original holiday which was proclaimed by Abraham Lincoln way back in the 1860s, was that the nation would both repent and express gratitude to God. And I get concerned anymore in looking at our nation that it has really gone down to now football and how early the stores open and uh, basically, you know, regrets about how much I ate on a given holiday. Today is the 4th of July. There's typical things that happen at the 4th of July celebration. You, you may be having a barbecue. Maybe you'll jump in the pool. Maybe you'll gather with some friends or neighbors and family, and etc. But, but I, I have to ask the question, will anybody at your gathering know a couple of names of people who signed the declaration? Will they know what we are actually celebrating? Will they understand how many lives were lost to continue to secure our freedom even to this day?
See, these holidays were the same for Israel. They were supposed to remind a nation about what's truly important, how we ended up where we are. And let's face it, brethren, we are quick to forget. It is so easy to skip over, you know, the reasons for holidays and just, you know, do what we want to do. But your lamb, five, shall be an unblemished male, a year old. So just, you know, kind of in the beginning of adult life, you may take it from the sheep or from the goat. So it can be a lamb or a kid goat. Now, if you had a small household, you were to get together with a neighbor, your nearest neighbor, verse 4. And it reminds me of the high command in Scripture. We are called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Here's an application. It's not an expositional point in the sermon, but this is what struck me. One of my calls as an ambassador of Christ is to share the lamb with others, to share the lamb with my neighbor. And what I mean by that is to share the gospel, to share the truth about Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus interacted with a lawyer back in the day, an expert in the Bible, and uh, they went back and forth about the greatest command and so forth. And then, in a kind of a smart aleck way, the lawyer said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, essentially saying, anyone who has a need is your neighbor. And the greatest need of our neighbors is the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the lamb, amen? And there's another application, too. We are the church of Jesus Christ. So we may go back to our celebrations today and maybe we know that there's a widow or there's someone who's a single person and they don't have any family here. They don't have anywhere to go. Would to God that we open our, our hearts and homes to others, amen? That we realize, amen, that's a good time for an amen. <laughs> that we realize that we're a community of blood-bought saints. That if we don't live our faith, if we just read about this stuff and we don't live it, what good is it? And so you're to share. Your lamb must be unblemished. He must be without spot, without blemish. Hebrews 4.15 says of the Messiah, Jesus, he is one as tempted in all things yet without sin. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Hebrews 9.14, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The lamb was inspected, found without fault. And Peter says, knowing that you were redeemed, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. You were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. That is the blood of Christ. And so Passover is around a meal. Makes me think of the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. How many of you saw My Big Fat Greek Wedding? So remember, there's this Greek family. I can relate because they're much like Italians. And uh, she brings the boyfriend, the prospective uh, fiance, to the house, and uh, he's a vegetarian. And so she announces he's a vegetarian, and, she, and the response of like an aunt or the grandma is, what do you mean? He don't eat meat? He don't, what do you mean? He don't eat meat? And it gets pretty loud and awkward in there. And then she says, okay, I'll make lamb. So there you go. And so what you would do is you would take this lamb per household and you would take it into your home. But here's where it gets really hard. And you keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So you have it essentially four days. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel 
is to kill it at twilight. Now, I'm going to just show you a couple pictures um, because I think we need to kind of get this idea. So you take the lamb in. It's almost like, you know, you got a new puppy at the house, but you know that the fate of this lamb is that it must die. And I would relate it to a dog taken into my home because all dogs are Christians. (laughs) All dogs are born again. Cats are a whole different category. I would question the salvation of every cat. (laughs) Sorry for you cat lovers, but anyway. And part of the intention, I usually divide the church when I make statements like this. Okay, some cats are all right. All right, anyway. So you, you keep this thing the whole week, and then you know that its destiny is to die. And it's to die at twilight on that Passover week. I got to thinking, and I was thinking about when Jesus in Matthew 16 began to, you know, and he said this several times, but he began to tell the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, essentially, during the Passover, and I'm going to be mocked I'm going to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise on the third day. And Peter took the lamb aside and said, Oh, no, this will never happen to you. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not concerned with God's interests. You are concerned with man's interests. And I think Peter was saying something like this. Lord, I've been with you for the week. You've become near and dear to my heart. Now you're saying you got to die. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Passover lamb. I must die. This is the way it has to be. This is the calendar of God. And Peter's saying, no, you can't die. I love you. Remember in John 21, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, I phileo you, Lord. I've grown fond of you. You know that I love you. That's what's going on here. He's saying, you can't die. And Jesus is saying, I must die. That's why I came. Not only to bear witness to the truth, but to die to secure the redemption of my people. That's what's going on there. And before the Passover feast, Jesus, John 13, 1, knowing that his time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father, John 13, 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love and he washed their feet, a picture of what he had come to do to die for them. And so... This lamb was to die at twilight. You'll note that in verse 6. You are to kill it at twilight. In reading Josephus, Josephus said that it was customary for Israel to slay lambs at 3 in the afternoon. He said that was considered twilight in Israel. Now you guys will remember that Jesus was on the cross from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Darkness occurred from noon to three. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus said these words, it is finished. Tetelestai paid in full. And I want to show you something else. So Jesus would have written down the Mount of Olives and come through the Eastern Gate. The Eastern Gate is the, towards the Mount of Olives, basically the temple proper is facing east. So the Mount of Olives would be right in the middle of the screen this way. The lambs for the slaughter would come through the northern sheep gate and Bethlehem is to the south of us. 
And so Jesus would have written in when lambs were being selected going through the sheep gate, all part of the timing. In the Eastern world, in the Middle East and other cultures, in the thresholds of doors, they had basins built into them. And while it might seem a little weird to us that blood is put on a door to uh, withhold judgment, in, in the Eastern mindset, covenants were made with blood, and here's what they would do. If, if I had an agreement with you and we went into a covenant contract, and it could be a, a number of different things, they would often cut animal parts in two. And the blood of the animals would represent the covenant. They would walk through the dead animal parts, essentially to say, if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant, may ha- happen to me what happened to this animal. And the blood would essentially seal the covenant. And they would do this on the threshold of homes. If you read anything from the ancients, they would say that covenants were made at the threshold of a home or at the door. In fact, the carrying of a bride over the threshold goes back to this idea that the covenant is finally sealed as he carries her over in marriage. And of course, we are the bride of Christ. And so as this is going on, this is what writers say. They say there was a lamb, a Passover lamb for the nation. And the high priest would take that lamb and kill that lamb at three in the afternoon, considered twilight. And as Jesus is dying on the cross at three in the afternoon, the high priest of Israel would slit the throat of the lamb for the nation and proclaim these words. Get this. It is finished. This probably was all happening simultaneously as Jesus Christ is fulfilling all of the Passover imagery. He literally died between the evenings. And they are to take some of the blood, seven, and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel. So you have the side post of the door, and then you have the upper post. Let me just show you. uh, Oh, I just messed up, you guys. Let me show you a picture of the door, if we can get to that. So here's the idea of the door. And what you have is you have, they would take the blood from the basin, most likely at the foot of the door, and they would put it on the two doorposts and the lentil. And many have seen the sign of the cross as the blood was applied. And the door to that household was sealed with the blood. Jesus said, I am the door, right? I am the way of salvation. And this is how all of this works together. And then they would sit down and they would partake in this meal. Let me go back to the Seder plate so you can see this. I probably messed it up again. <laughs> you can take, take us to the Seder plate. And uh, so what you have here is every time a Seder meal uh, occurs, they use the shank bone of a lamb middle right of the plate. And then they have the bitter herbs and the parsley and the horseradish and the egg, all kind of representative of different elements of their bondage and then their freedom Uh, according to the lamb. And so this is something considered like a threshold covenant. They would then take the blood, they would apply it with hyssop uh, to the doorpost and lentil. Just take a look ahead for a second. Exodus 12, take a look at verse uh, 21. Moses called for all the elders of Israel, said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it, in, dip it in the blood, which is in the basin. 
and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentil and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the tor- on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. When I see the blood, not when I see your good works, not when I see your pedigree, not when I see your family origin, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the destroyer won't come in to destroy you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's in John 10, and it's the great treatment of Jesus being our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so they are to apply this blood. They are to kill the lamb at twilight. They take the blood. They put it on the door. Verse 8, And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, the fire of judgment. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread. Jesus was unleavened without sin. Matzah is there. And bitter herbs, probably a picture of their uh, bitter bondage as they were in the land of Israel. And so bitter herbs remind the uh, Israelites of their bitter bondage. And I just put in my notes that you can leave your bitterness behind in Christ. You don't have to be in bondage to bitterness. You don't have to allow a root of bitterness to spring up and destroy things in your life. You don't. You can be set free from bitterness. You can be set free from anxiety. You can be set free from all of it in the Lamb. Amen? In Christ. They're also told, don't eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water. Rather, roasted with fire. The fire of judgment is the picture. Both its head and its legs, along with its entrails or its insides. Jesus will take the fire of God's wrath. You shall not leave any of it until morning, probably because the suffering of the lamb was once. There's no leftovers here. Whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So recently I was going to play golf with a friend, and I called him up and I said, Are you ready? Have you girded up your loins? Just kidding. I wouldn't say that. It's kind of a weird statement, isn't it? In the ancient world, some of you are looking at me like, Pastor Michael, you have lost it. It's the 4th of July, so you got to say something with a little southern accent. Have you girded up your loins? Now, what does that mean? In the ancient world, even men would wear long robes, and they would pull up the robe for freedom of movement. We are to gird our loins with truth. Amen? We're to always be ready to give a defense of the gospel. And they had to be ready. The dough couldn't rise. They had to get out of Egypt quickly. So they ate it in haste. They ate it in readiness. We are ready to share the lamb with others. And then God says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, 12-12, we're winding down, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt, which he had utterly decimated. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Riken comments. On the first Passover, the Israelites huddled in their homes, waiting for God to come in judgment. 
That night he would claim a life from every household in Egypt. All over the land they would hear the wailing of their enemies who were mourning the death of their firstborn sons. Death passed over them. The reason death passed over them was because they were under the blood. The lamb's blood was the propitiation. It turned away the wrath of God. Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And the blood 13 will be a sign, literally an ot, O-T in Hebrew, a mark for you on your houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's our Passover holiday. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now the sign is the blood. Look at verse 13, shall be a sign. It's the word oat. If you look it up in the Hebrew picture language, oat means the strong established sign. It also has in it the beginning and the end. And if you take the picture and walk it out, it means the first leader nailed to the cross. It has an ox's head that looks like an A for alpha, and it has a tav that's in the sign of the cross. Taken together, it's the first leader nailed to the cross. That's the sign. The fulfillment would come in the person of Jesus Christ. When I see the blood, the only way you and I can be saved is to be sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And I'm talking about his death. I'm talking about his resurrection. I'm talking about his sacrificial atonement for us. Now this day will be a memorial to you. That is Passover. And you shall celebrate it, 14, final verse, as a feast to the Lord. A fixed time, right? Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Judgment will pass over by all those, over all those who are cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Let me ask you, have you selected Jesus as your lamb? Have you applied the blood to your life? You might say, well, Pastor Michael, how do you do that? You, you've got to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Can you imagine, maybe there was an Israelite somewhere in Goshen who said something like this. Well, you know, the last three plagues, God's protected us in Goshen. Why do I need to put blood on the door? If it was an American, this would be our attitude. I just painted the trim of the house. Why am I going to put the blood on the door? I don't think in the ancient world they would do that, but Americans would do that. Why are we going to do that? Because God said to do it. He said, this is how you get saved. You must be born again. You must apply the blood to your household, to your life personally, and you will be saved. Father, thank you for your wonderful son coming on a rescue mission. Thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. Thank you that he literally saves from judgment. He rescues, he redeems, not just salvation from judgment, but to the promises, which are captured really in the promised land and the direct presence of the tabernacle of God. And one day you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We will see you. We will see the lamb. <laughs> we will see our God. May that encourage our hearts on this 4th of July here in America, Lord. We pray over our nation. We pray over the church in the nation. Forgive us, Lord. We repent of our personal and national sins. We ask you to restore us 
indeed to pour your grace upon us afresh. Only your mercy, Lord, is what we can lean into. And we thank you for your goodness and your compassion. You are rich in mercy and compassion. Now, if you don't know the Lord, we're going to take a communion in a moment. And if you keep your heart bowed, if you're not sure that you've met him as your lamb, it's something like this. Lord Jesus, would you save me? I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. I believe that you died on that cross to fulfill the Passover. I believe that you defeated death. I believe you still save. Would you forgive me and save me and help me to follow you all the days of my life as my King, my God, and my Lord? Lead me by faith into your promises, Lord. If you're a prodigal, this would be a great time to rededicate your life to the Lamb. Make sure you're right with him, following him, enjoying him indeed, fellowshipping with him.